Our sermon text for today is from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is the word of the Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In the 16th century, the kingdom of England saw a tag of war being waged among its monarchs and their pleasure or displeasure with the Protestant Reformation from Henry VII, a Catholic, to the infamous Henry VIII and his many wives, to Edward VI and his Protestant faith, to Mary I, also known as Bloody Mary, for her persecution of Protestants whom she would send to the Tower of London and subsequently have them burned alive. On October 16th, 1555, exactly 567 years ago to this date, two Protestants were sent to, burn, to be burned at the stake by Queen Mary I. Their names, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. Their charge, preaching that salvation is by faith alone. When they were burned at the stake, Latimer said to, to Ridley, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light a candle in England by God's grace that shall never be put out. What creates such boldness, such confidence? Sola fide, faith alone preached, faith alone lived. So throughout the month of October, we are taking some time to think about this movement called the Protestant Reformation. As we have been reminded every week, one of the most central words in the Protestant Reformation was the word sola. Sola means only, alone. The Catholic Church was happy to affirm the authority of Scripture, the necessity of grace, the importance of faith, the centrality of Christ, and the glory of God, but the reformers fought and died to add these simple letters alone. The five solos of the Reformation are the five pillar doctrines of the Reformation. And along with the reformers, we too affirm them. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, as the authority over us. Sola Gratia, Sola Fide. Solus Christus, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, the means of salvation, and solely their gloria, to the glory of God alone. At the heart of the Reformation, that was a return to proper worship, where God and His Word was at the center. As Protestants, we affirm that Scripture alone teaches us that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. And all of this amounts to the glory of God alone. 
This movement is important for us because we are a part of it. 500 years later, here we are. This movement that began 500 years ago and has driven us back to the pure and unadulterated gospel. The faith, as James, as Jude puts it, the faith once and for all deliver to the saints. Protestant Reformation is not a movement that seeks to start something new, but a movement that seeks to return to something true. Sola fide, faith alone. Faith is a welcome concept in the world around us, isn't it? Perhaps one of the greatest anthems of my generation is the 1996 R. Kelly song, I Believe I Can Fly. I believe I can touch the sky. But can I? Can I fly? Can I touch the sky? Obviously not, right? That's not how it works. I don't believe things into existence. I believe in that which is actually true. Faith is only as reliable as its object. Faith is only trustworthy if it corresponds with reality. We're called to have faith, but not faith in faith, not faith in self. Friends, although my abilities to fly are completely unreal, nothing is more real in this world than the promises God makes to his people. God's words are true, and in it we are reminded that he is trustworthy, he is faithful, he is steadfast, he is unwavering, he is upright, his yes is always yes, and his no is always no. It is in this God that we're called to place our faith alone. Christianity is not a call to fideism, faith without reason, faith without connection to reality. Christianity is a call to faith in that which is most reasonable, God's promises. More specifically, Christianity is a call to faith in God and His promises that were accomplished in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. At the heart of God's promises, there is His Son who is able to accomplish them. Which promises did Jesus accomplish? Which of the promises of God were accomplished by His Son? Every promise God has ever made has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. All of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. We're going to look today at two verses in the book of Romans. These two verses function as the thesis the thesis statement of Romans. At the heart of Romans, 
we find the argument that righteousness before God is only possible by faith in the gospel. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul as a missionary letter. Paul wanted to present the gospel to the believers in Rome, whom he had never met, to recruit their support in order to take the gospel all the way to Spain. And how did Paul present his case? Did he put the emphasis on the need? The gospel needs to go forth? No. Paul puts the emphasis on the promise. The promise of salvation. He wrote the most theologically charged letter of all of his writings. And he's saying, this promise must go forth. After a brief greeting to the believers in Rome, Paul affirms that he is obliged to preach the gospel to all men in our passage for today. And we'll see why that's important. So as we look at our text, let's first consider the controversial gospel. In verse 16, Paul starts by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I think this simple statement raises two questions that we need to answer. One, what is the gospel? And two, why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel? So what is the gospel? The word gospel simply means good news. We know that. We've been taught that. But perhaps the clearest summary of the gospel is found in another letter by Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1, 3, and 4. Paul, at the end of the letter, reminds the Corinthians of this message. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The Gospel is the central message of Christianity. Paul says, this is of first importance. The gospel is not a secondary matter. The gospel is a primary matter. The gospel is what unites us with other believers. Cross church, cross denominations. What makes someone a Christian or not is faith in the gospel. All we say and all we do as Christians is shaped by this message. The gospel is a message that is received by faith. The gospel are also the truths concerning Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is the life of Christ. The gospel is his sacrifice in victory on the behalf of all who would believe in him. But not only truths about his life, 
but that these truths intersect with our lives when we believe in Jesus. And how do these truths intersect with our lives? Well, because of Jesus' life and sacrifice, the gospel then becomes the means by which God forgives sin. We receive the gospel by faith. We're sinners identifying with Christ, the sinless one. The good news we receive is that Jesus Christ died, but that he died in our place. That he was buried, and that by faith, along with him, our old sinful nature was buried also. That he was risen from the dead. And if we believe in him, we too will experience eternal life and experience the power of the resurrected Christ today as we progressively conquer sin and rebellion in our lives. The gospel is also the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy or promises. The gospel is not an accident. Paul says, The gospel is in accordance with scriptures. The gospel was not God's plan B. He enacted once Adam sinned. The gospel is not an idea that popped into God's head once he saw that humanity had rebelled against him. No, God's purpose to save a people for his glory, for his own possession, was God's plan from the beginning It was not, it was his plan from eternity past. Listen to 1 Timothy 1.9. He, that is God, saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ once we believed, once Adam sinned, no, he gave, us, he gave us the promise of the gospel before the ages begun. God is not a reactive God. God is proactive with his purposes. God is not watching history and waiting to see how he's going to respond. God is orchestrating history in such a way that his purpose is to save and redeem a people to himself will be accomplished. Why? Because he purposed it before the times begun. Friends, that's the great love with which God has loved you. God did not react to your rebellion or to your sin. Instead, he was proactive in providing Jesus, the promise of Jesus, to you from eternity past. Now, this is such great news, isn't it? Why would anyone be ashamed of this gospel? Why does Paul say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel? It is true that the gospel is good news, but the gospel is not good news for everyone. 
the gospel is good news for the one who believes. So the gospel is terrible news for the one who rejects it. Paul tells the Corinthians that they are an aroma of death to those who are perishing. The gospel is a reminder that we cannot live however we want. The gospel is a reminder that we live according to God's will. We cannot suppress the truth and ignore God. The gospel is an, off, is an offensive message that reminds all humanity that we are not Lord of our lives. Some of us might be tempted to feel ashamed of the gospel today. Perhaps you love Jesus, but your family shuns you for deserting their beliefs. You want to live a life of purity to honor God, but your friends tell you that the Bible is just an ancient and outdated book, so you should embrace their sinful lifestyle. Perhaps you want to uphold Christian morals in the workplace, or your co-workers label you as being on the wrong side of history. Friends, we are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. But let me encourage you. Although many will reject you because of the gospel, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is powerful. And that's our second point. Gospel is powerful. The powerful gospel. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, for it is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is powerful unto salvation. But what do we need to be saved from? Well, we saw this last week, didn't we? We're not primarily saved from Satan or from self or from the world, our great adversary is God himself. We're saved from God himself. Just one verse later in our passage for today. Romans 1.18, why is the gospel necessary? For because the wrath of God is revealed here. That's what we're saved from, the wrath of God. It is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, that which was true of us before Christ, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The gospel saves us from, from God's righteous, righteous wrath that should be poured on all of us. God saves us from God. God saves us from himself. Salvation involves an intellectual response to the gospel, meaning salvation requires that we understand the gospel in our minds. No one is saved, no one who is saved is saved by ignorance. We're saved through the knowledge of the truth. But salvation also involves a heart-level response to the gospel. 
It is not just a matter of reciting the truths of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins that saves us. We need a predisposition to lovingly submit to God. We're not fighting to simply get people to recite the truth back to us when we're evangelizing, be it through a catechism or through a sinner's prayer. We're striving so that people may embrace the gospel at a heart level, that they would see it is true and that they would embrace it as truth. I told you this story before, but I think it's, it's, uh, it bears repeating. My dad often tells me the story of my grandfather who was a pastor back in Brazil who once took a committee from his church to visit a famous witch doctor in my hometown. That tells me that this witch doctor received my grandfather and the other believers. They sung at the cross to her shared the message of the gospel, and gave her a Bible. She was very welcoming and thankful of their visit. She received the gift of that Bible well, but her answer to their visit was incredibly sad and disheartening. She said, I know that the gospel is the truth. By the way, people who are involved with Spiritism, witchcraft, know the gospel is the truth because they're aware of the spiritual realm around us. She said, I know that the gospel is the truth. Her rejection was not factual. Her rejection was not mental. But she said, but I cannot follow the gospel. She rejected it at a heart level. She knew the truth in her mind, but she did not embrace it or submit to the truth in her heart. I wonder if some of us here today find ourselves at a similar place. If we're asked what is the gospel, we would be able to articulate the fact of the gospel, but we are unwilling to follow follow it. Friends, have you been at church your entire life and yet do you rely on what you have done for God rather than what God has done for you for the salvation of your soul? Friend, do you, friends, do you trust in your own works, in your own moral track record? Do you intend to take that to God and say, you should accept me because of the life I lived. Friends, this is not the gospel. The gospel is when we stand before God and say, someone lived for me. And that is Jesus Christ. It is his life that I present to you. Would you accept his life? Because mine counts as nothing. That's the message of the gospel. It is not what we do for God it is what He has done for us. Do not miss this in the church pews week after week. Do not miss Christ's life 
lived for you and trust instead in your own works. Children, have you understood the message of the gospel that your parents have taught you all your life? Is the story of your life, I cannot remember when I didn't know that the Bible is the word of God and in it we know that we need salvation? Is this message your only hope in life and in death? Is this message that you know in your mind, does it change your heart? Does it change your affections towards God? Does it cause you to desire to learn God's word? Does it cause you to desire to obey your parents more? Does it cause you to desire to use your life or to dedicate your life for the glory of God alone? Children, do you understand that your parents are not just trying to get you to understand facts, but your parents are trying to drive truth into your heart? My prayer for you is that you would know the Lord not just in your mind, but that you would know the Lord in your heart and that you would never assume because you were born and brought up in a Christian home that you have received the gospel. If you're not sure about that, if you're not sure that you have received the gospel, can I encourage you to today go up to your parents and say, can you help me understand this? Can you help me discern my heart? Friends, Paul goes on to say in verse 16 that the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. The power of the gospel is activated in our lives by faith and not by works. All who believe means all who have faith. The gospel is not for the ones who work to gain the favor of God. The gospel is for the ones who believe. In verse 17, the word faith will become very prominent. And, and it is important that, to note that in the original language, the word faith and the word believe is the same word. So when we're saying sola fide, faith alone, we're saying only those who believe are saved. What I want you to grasp right now is that God's powerful gospel can only be accessed by faith, by what we believe, by what we put our trust in, and not by what we do. At the heart of the Reformation, there was a battle for faith, not for works. It is faith alone that justifies completely apart from works. From works. This is what the reformers called sola fide, faith alone, Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but, what's the opposite? Believes. In him, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We heard this earlier, right? Abraham believed God. And that was counted to him as righteousness. As a matter of fact, when the sacrifice to ratify the covenant between God and Abraham is about to be cut, what happens? Abraham falls asleep. And he's not able to present the sacrifice. So, who presents the sacrifice? God himself does. God himself does. 
and through faith he justifies Abraham. This is good news. Christianity is not for the strong, but for the weak. Christianity is not for the one who can get his act together or pick himself up from his own bootstraps. Christianity is for the spiritual bankrupt that knows to look to Christ in faith, believes in his sacrifice, his sacrifice and rests in his finished work. This is who Christianity is for. So if you're a Christian, the declaration that you're making is, I am too weak, not too strong. And friends, here's more good news. The gospel is for everyone without distinction. Paul ends verse 16, reminding us that the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. First to the Jew, then to the Greek, means salvation was made available first chronologically to the, group, to the Jews, yet for God there's no distinction or for all who believe are one new man in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2. There's no distinction between nationalities. There's no distinction between ethnicities. When Peter takes the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time in the book of Acts, he says, Acts 10, 34 and 35, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is why it's central. We don't get sidetracked with the so-called social justice movements or any other cultural constructs to fend off prejudices. We preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit teach us to love one another. We preach the gospel and watch our greatest differences disappear when we make Christ all in all and not man. Friends, the gospel that saves is the gospel that heals. The gospel that heals relationships. It is the gospel that unites. It is when we stop looking at ourselves and start making a big deal of how we are different from one another and start looking up to Christ who saved us without distinction that we find ourselves in an environment of love, purpose, Common destiny, unity. Not only is the gospel controversial and powerful, the gospel is also merciful. So let's turn to our last point today. Paul says in verse 17 that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Friends, this is the content of the gospel, by the way. This is the heart of Romans, which in many ways is the theological heart of the Bible. Namely, that God reveals his righteousness through faith. That's the good news. God reveals his righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, God makes his righteousness available to everyone by faith. This was a verse that puzzled Martin Luther for years. Martin Luther was a German Augustinian monk who had a deep understanding of his sinfulness and a deep desire to be reconciled 
to God, to be made right before God, to be found righteous by God. So this verse puzzled Luther because he mistakenly understood that the righteousness of God here referred to the judging righteousness of God. Martin Luther once wrote about this very verse that we're looking at today, and he said, but up until then, it was a single word in chapter 1 of Romans. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed that had stood in my way. For I hated that word, righteousness of God. Which according to the use and custom of all the teachers, I had been taught to understand as that by which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous. Now, that is true of the righteousness of God as well, right? For the one that does not approach God by faith, the righteousness of God is the judging righteousness. But not in verse 17. In verse 17, that righteousness saves because it is received by, by faith. At last... By the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the contest of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he whom through faith is righteous shall live. There I begun to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous live by gift of God, namely, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin. Not his sins, because he knew no sin. So that in him, in Christ, by virtue of being united with Christ by faith, we might become something we're not. Righteous. And how righteous? As righteous as God. The righteousness of God is given by faith. Do you see the incredible exchange here? The realization of Luther was like a spark that eventually brought him to the saving knowledge of Christ. The exchange of righteousness, our filthy rags for the righteousness of Christ, our sin for his sinlessness. Righteousness by faith is the spark that began the Reformation. Righteousness by faith, one of the pillars of the Reformation says, if you are in Christ, God is for you and not against you. God will not judge you, but instead give you righteousness. Do you know that to be true? Do you know that God is for you? Friend, this righteousness is available from faith or faith. Faith all along, faith from beginning to end. We don't outgrow faith. We don't, come to, we don't come to be saved by faith and then walk without faith. No. It is faith that saves. It is faith that sanctifies. Paul ends with an Old Testament quotation here. As he says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a quote from the prophet 
Habakkuk. A few months ago, we did a seven-week series on Habakkuk. So if you, are, if, if you weren't here for that series, or if you would like to go through the series again, um, all of the sermons are on Sermon Audio. Uh, you can go there. It's an app. It's also a website. You can also download all my notes. They're all there. It's also on our church website. And if you need any help with anything, just call the church office. They'll be happy to help you. So um, if you missed it, you should, go, you should go listen to it. But I think it's important, though, for us to quickly remember the context in which Habakkuk says that the righteous will live by his faith. So in a nutshell, here's the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk starts with a complaint from the prophet to God, calling for God to judge in his righteousness Israel because of their sin. God responds to Habakkuk and says, don't worry, I will judge Israel by sending the Babylonians to destroy them. But then Habakkuk says, wait, the Babylonians are worse than us. And God says, don't worry, I'll judge the Babylonians as well. So the question in the air is this, will anyone escape the judgment of God? Will anyone escape the judgments or the judging righteousness of God? Is there any hope for anyone because we're sinful and God is righteous? And God says, yes, there is hope. The righteous shall live by faith. In the midst of judgment, God proclaims hope. The only hope that anyone has is to live by faith, faith in the gospel, faith in the promises of God. Those that are right before God are only right because of their faith and never because of their works. God justifies the ungodly. God's final word for those who are His is a word of salvation and not a word of judgment. Perhaps you've walked into this building today and you're asking a similar question. You have felt the weight of God's holiness, righteousness, and you're fully aware of the sin lurking within. You're asking the question, is there hope for me? Perhaps you're asking the question, am I ungodly beyond redemption? Pastor Lucas, is there any hope for me, even though I still carry the guilt of the sins of my youth? And God's answer to you is yes. Turn from your sin and remember the righteous shall live by faith. Pastor Lucas, is there any hope for me even though I am, I am in such a struggle with sexual sin and this battle is brutal and God's answer to you is yes. There is hope 
Turn from your sin and remember the righteous shall live by faith. Pastor Lucas, is there any hope for me even though I can't seem to break free from my anger and this is destroying everyone around me? And God's answer to you is yes. Turn from your sin and remember the righteous shall live by faith. Pastor Lucas, I would be so ashamed to even share what is in my heart right now. I look at everyone around me, and everyone seems to have it together except for me. Is there any hope for me? And God's answer to you is yes. Turn from your sins and remember the righteous shall live by faith alone in Christ alone. Would you pray with me? Father, if you required works of us, we would be lost. Our works would never suffice because our sins are many. But Lord, your mercy is more. Father, we are thankful because it is not the righteousness that we bring that will be counted, but it is the righteousness that we receive by faith in Christ that will be counted towards us. Father, I pray that you would help us relinquish every trust and faith that we have in ourselves, whether we've walked with you for decades or whether we're coming to a knowledge and understanding of the truth right now. May we not trust in our strength, but may we be weak and in our weakness find the power of the gospel. Lord, we pray, trusted in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.